0: The University of Georgia Griffin Campus invites you to join us for news and information about the many and varied programs and activities at the UGA Griffin Campus. Information about gardening, the agriculture programs, and your UGA degree at the University of Georgia Griffin Campus. Your UGA degree is closer than you think. This program is made possible by Frank and Karen Harris of Round Oak Resources Tree Farm and Murray and Company Realtors. Listen each Thursday at 9 o'clock a.m. for the UGA Griffin Campus News. This program is produced by WKEU AM 1450 and 102.3 FM and The Rock 88.9 FM, and streamed live on our website, wkeuradio.com. Join us now with our guests from the UGA Griffin Campus. And good morning and welcome to this
1: week's installment of the University of Georgia Griffin Campus News. I'm your host, Tony Braske. We're joined in studio today, Africa hot though it is, by Dr. Dan Suter, a professor of entomology and faculty advisor committee chair for the Center of Urban Agriculture. And we're joined by Brad Glass, who is a former student and the owner of Glass Exterminating, which is located here on Airport Road. You pass it all the time and you see their trucks all over the city. You, if you drive around, you're going to see glass termite. I mean, you're just going to see it. So we welcome you both to the program. Dr. Dan, let's start with you and uh, we'll welcome you to the program and, and find out the latest about the training center.
2: Well, good morning, Tony. Uh, so, uh, you know, over the past year or so, it's been a different world, you know, for the past year or so. Uh, I guess it was March. March of last year they sent us home on campus. And we do our workshops on uh, – You know, we do we do a series of those workshops in the spring, and a series of those in the fall. And the spring workshops are in February and March. And they're just to back up a little bit here. The workshops are geared for pest control operators, right? So they have to have continuing education. And Brad can talk about this in a second. But when you are when you own or employ people in the pest control industry, they have to be licensed and they have to prove that they're competent in what they're doing. And then they have to undergo like any profession continuing education so we offer classes that provide them continuing education hours so that those programs are uh, the programs that we have on campus are geared towards doing that so last year was kind of slow we kind of slowed down we 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 had to put things put the brakes on in march Uh, they sent us home for most of the summer but um, recovered a little bit in the fall had several workshops that were kind of scaled down in the fall, but I think we're geared back up to, to go full tilt here. Uh, two weeks from now, we have a, a workshop on what's called home home IPM, and it's uh, it's for pest control operators that do uh, pest control in homes, which is very common, of course, in the south. So it's, it's it's education on you know ants and cockroaches and fleas and the things that get in your pantry, the bugs that you eat with your cereal, and that you don't know about, right, Brad? And uh, So we, we, sh- we have an identification laboratory that shows people what, what's in the cereal and where, where they're coming from, where they're living
1: in the home. Well, before we get to Brad Glass, let's, let's ask you, how does one get from the University of Florida to the University of Georgia Griffin campus?
2: Yeah, yeah that's an interesting story, isn't it? So this, we're, we end at 10, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I grew up, some of you have probably heard this story before, but I grew up in southeast Florida. Uh, before it was so before it was so grown up back in the I was born in 63 so my my years down there I left I left West Palm in uh, 85 but I grew up hunting and fishing in South Florida when you still could kind of do that kind of thing you still can do that inland off the coast but I grew up hunting and fishing on Lake Okeechobee you know bass fishing and duck hunting down there and my dad took us dove hunting and I had a you know I had a shotgun from the time i was seven years old so like any kid when you're traipsing around out in the woods and you're bored you start kicking over logs <laughs> and i was one of those kids that never outgrew that kind of thing so uh when i got to uh high school finished high school went to a small junior college in west palm and i, I tell this story over and over again but there was a there was a teacher there that this is how teachers impact your life and I went to talk to her one time, she was retired from Duke. And I asked her what, what somebody in biology could do. And she said entomology. And I said, I remember that word in, in, in high school. I had to spell it for a spelling bee one time. And I, she said, the University of Florida has a really good program. So I looked into it. And two years later, was, was in Gainesville, I was there for nine years. That's where I met my wife, who is also on the UGA Griffin campus and studies bugs. She's from Massachusetts uh and then a, a position to open at purdue university uh and i went to purdue we, we we were married in 94 went to purdue for five years from 95 to 2000 Then a position positioned open in exactly what i wanted to do at, on the uga griffin campus and i was recruited by some professors in the in the entomology department so here i am 21 years later happy as a clam
1: well, now let's bring Brad Glass. He's the owner of Glass, Termite, and Pest, Incorporated here in Griffin, uh, former Griffin High School bear as well. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Brad, if you would, please.
0: Well, I was. I was born here in Griffin. Um, I was born in 75. I just realized, I guess, Dan and I knew we were about 10 years apart, and that's about, that's yep. about right. Yep. And um, But, um, yeah, Griffin has been my home, you know, always. I, I did go off to Columbus College and played a little baseball over there after um, – I played a lot of baseball and basketball in, in Griffin, and um, and so continued my sports over there. And then, actually, I got a recreation administration mm-hmm. degree from the University of Georgia. And uh, but Dad always had a pest control business, and um, he went to University of Georgia, and um, so I, I kind of knew that I was going to um, come into the business. And and um, but that's and and I did, and so um, but that's how I got into the business, the sort of second generation, and. Um, We've just had a blast um, serving, you know, the community members of Griffin, Georgia.
1: Well, now, Dan talked about the continuing education that's required for your profession. Just how many, is it an annual thing or is it biannual? What kind of education do you have to go through in order to maintain your license?
0: Okay, so yes, that is biannual, to answer your question. It's every odd-numbered year. And um, so my technicians, um, we you know, during COVID, I mean, we we went over to Dr. Dan, they had um, a field agent from the Georgia Department of Agriculture that came in, and we did a termite training course, and I think we got five hours that day. And so, um, you know, technicians need eight hours in any category that they're working in. And a lot of folks think that, oh, well, I got my applicator's license, and, and there's lots of, um, you know, in the ag industry, there's there's lots of application license you can get. Well, in pest control, when people see our trucks or or the Orkin truck or Terminex or any pest control truck, um, you know, our category is category 29 and category 30. Um, 29 is household pest control, and um, that's your general pest, you know, your pesky bugs, insects that bother you. And then 30 is WDO, that's your wood destroying organisms, and that's, you know, things that are going to attack your home, the investment that you have. And um, and that's category 30. So in all of my technicians carry 29 and 30, and they have to have eight hours in each category every two years. So they have to have 16 hours of continuing education every two years.
1: Well, this is more of an opinion question for you, but, you know, it used to be, and maybe I'm just not paying attention like I should, but it seems like at least in the Griffin area, most of the pest control businesses are locally owned, as opposed to the Orkins and the Terminexes. Why
0: is that? Whew. Uh, my opinion, is, and I think I'm right because I mean I even see it in other aspects. But you know, Griffin's just—it's—it's it's an oddity. You know, it's 75s out that way, but you're not getting off 75 to come into Griffin to buy something, and 85s all the way over in Noonan, and you know Noonan's probably a lot like Griffin back in the day, but 85 has swallowed Noonan. Well, we just—you know—we're hard to get to. Um, I know we get we get calls for folks that need other things that we don't actually do and and for a long time it was hard it's it's always hard to get a business out of macon or atlanta to come to griffin and so you know uh there there's some great small companies here that has kept the big big guys out um i I think you know all of our local companies are just wonderful folks um you got patriot this down in zebulon and you got griffin termite here locally and and um, i think that's justin coker and he does a great job over there so um.
1: so there's no shortage of competition but it is primarily locally owned at least in our region
0: it, it seems to be here in griffin yes
1: well now dan you know do all the local companies come to you for that additional training and education or are there other avenues or is the university of georgia really the preferred place given its name and reputation
2: a lot of a lot of them do come to us um, we're local <clears throat> i uh, from because of my training in entomology too if they have a bug related question, I get five to seven emails a day or texts or pictures of people send me a picture if somebody sent me a picture of a bug last night at eleven o'clock I said, what is this <laughs> what is this I don't know what this is it swarmed down you know who you might not have known the bug, but you knew who the pest yeah. was and this was an operator in <laughs> uh, southeast Georgia so i I kind of look at myself as a <clears throat> kind of a, a technical director for the state. You know, many of big, uh, the bigger companies will have, uh, they'll have somebody that technical inside the company that, you know, it's from time to time, you don't know what something is. You don't know what a bug is. Most of the times you're dealing with things, you know what they are and you know what to do about them. But from time to time, you know, they, they uh, me and Brad were just talking about this outside before, before we came in. Um, when an insect shows up at a house, there, it's, there's a reason for it. There's a reason why it's a pest. Right, and usually there's an underlying reason that has to be taken care of. It's a moisture issue, or it's an abundant food source. It's uh, lots of places to hide and harbored spaces. So, from that integrated pest management perspective, taking care of that, well, a lot of times will take care of the problem. But uh, I forgot what you asked me, Tony. About the (laughs) uh, about the (laughs) different
1: the local companies coming to you for the training. They
2: do a lot of them. A lot of them do. We've we've offered a uh, getting back to the training. Several years ago, we started a, uh, a webinar program with the Center for Urban Agriculture on campus. And uh, <clears throat> we were perfectly positioned for COVID because the webinar program allows a company like Brad's that could be in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and we get people from Pennsylvania and Maryland, South Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Canada. Companies will sit down employees uh to watch one of our webinars and they get continuing education credit for that so what it does it doesn't if brad has to go to he has to put a bunch of people in a truck and drive an hour to get two hours worth of credit and an hour back it kills half a day but if he can sit down those employees in his office and they can watch a screen they can be back to work 10 minutes later so there's not a lot of downtime with the webinars so that has really helped so a lot of the local folks We've we've offered that free to them. So, for for anybody else, there's a small fee involved. But uh, we, we, it's so unique what the center does. Nobody, I, I know of nobody in the in the in the country that is my peer that is doing this kind of thing. And it's only because of the folks in the center. Uh,
1: this this may not be possible. But are your webinars? archived so that companies can come back at a later date and and ref- maybe get their new employees up to speed
2: some of them are archived we had we have two different series of webinars one's called the green industry webinar for folks that do lawns and things of that sort and take care of roses <clears throat> those are archived and you can go right now you can go to gtbop.com and you can watch those and there's there's webinars there on bed bugs and ants and mosquitoes and it gets a lot of its way technical but there's a take-home message from every one of these um every one of those archives and they are for credit some of them are for credit
1: now i'll, I'll ask you both both being experts in the field one as a killer and one just in the study of insects what are the most prevalent insect pesky insects that we see in our area you know from in this in, in the southeast as a whole
0: so i'll take that one um you know i i laugh i, I always bring this up but about Uh, it was around 1997. Um, it was a jeopardy question. What was the most, um, you know, called in pest problem that people had. And in 1985, I remember the answer. Ants took over cockroaches. And, uh, and so, and it's still there. Uh, we, we were noticing some ant trails on the way in. Um, Dr. Dan has had, um, you know students follow ant trails from the station and um i always tell folks i think they quit when they got to mcdonald's and (laughs) uh, (laughs) and so but you know that was an interesting talk that they had because you had the main trail that i always call them you know six lane highways and then towards and and literally just going down the sidewalk of taylor street and you'd see trails breaking off going towards you know the businesses the structures so ants by far is you know um, our most prevalent pests, you know. I guess what ten, twelve years ago, bed bugs came on the scene, and they are rapidly rising. Um, you know, they're probably your biggest concern because nobody wants anything feeding on them. Well, <laughs> as small
1: as they are, microscopic even.
0: Yeah. How do, how does
1: one recognize that they have a bed bug problem?
0: And so, I wish Clint was here. Um, he's my bed bug specialist, but um, you know, they're not. When they're fully adult, they're not microscopic at all. I mean, they, they can get the sizes. I always, you know, I mean, they're like a tick. Um, wow, they they, I mean, they, they get don't that big. They not as big, big yeah, as yeah. in blood engorged as a tick, but you know, you can see them. And then, but they're, you know, their first instars. You know, yeah, they're 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 tiny. They they look about as, um, you know, like a, a, a very small speck of something on a on a white table like I'm looking at here. Um, and then it starts moving. You know. You know, you have an yep. issue. Yep, and so typically, folks that are very concerned, I, I just you know, for whatever reason, we buy light-colored sheets as Americans, and um, typically, you know, bed bugs, unlike ticks that are hard, you know, you hit a, you about have to hit a tick with a hammer to kill it because they're flattened from top to bottom, and um, but a bed bug is really delicate, so if you roll over one of those things in the night, you know, it's going to make a blood smear on on your on your sheets and so that's usually a dead giveaway
1: well dr dan brad mentioned you know it's been in the last 10 12 years that bed bugs have really made the emergence what caused it i mean is there any single factor or is it a myriad of things coming together
2: (laughs) if you ask 15 different people you get 15 different answers probably uh you know the the obvious thing that people think of is well international travel but we've always traveled internationally Um, you know, insecticide resistance probably has something to do with it. Um, there are populations of bed bugs around the country that are virtually unkillable um, with with not what we want to hear. Insecticides. There, luckily, there are new. There's always new insecticides coming out that um, the industry is, has available to them that homeowners don't have available to them that are uh, that are effective against bed bugs. So. Um, Although there are populations that are difficult, they probably allowed for the spread of bed bugs worldwide.
1: Do pesticide companies consult you from time to time, or people in your field, to get advice on what they might want to add to their product sure. to make it more effective?
2: Yeah, we. Most universities do this kind of thing. That that work in my area, urban entomology. You go to Purdue or University of Florida or Clemson or Auburn or. Ohio State, they, they, all have an, they all employ an urban entomologist like me. And so, yeah, some of these chemical companies will come to us and say, we have this uh, new product that we want to look at and we need some data on it. Um, would you be interested in looking at it? And uh, as a matter of fact, we're doing something like, I'm doing something like that tomorrow morning with Brad. We're, we have a company contacted us with a, one of their products for, for looking at ants and they want a pest control operator to make the application. So, that, that's what we're going to do.
1: How many varieties of ants are problematic here in Georgia? I mean, I, it's got to be you know different species. As you know, you got crazy ants, fire ants, sugar what I call sugar ants. You yeah, that's got
2: what a, Brad was talking about. That's a, that's called an Argentine ant. It's a sugar ant. But um, there,
1: there, you know, there are countless kinds of ants. But which ones are the most problematic, and how can homeowners recognize? Are the treatments different for each one?
2: Sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, gosh, I, I, we could tick off probably a list of 10 pest species easily uh, if, if between us, and we could go through a, a list and easily come up with a list of 10 just want to go back and forth here. I got Argentine. Argentine. Tawny crazy ant, which is, that's a, that's a crazy ant you're talking about. That's mostly in South Georgia right now. Maybe getting up there. You got else? your fire ants, which Tony's already mentioned. Carpenter ants. We were talking about carpenter ants just a little bit ago. We're, we've got a, uh, we're doing some work. In a, in a Are they area. as destructive
1: as carpenter bees? or do they get the name for a different reason?
2: So in nature, they actually live in trees and they will come inside. If you have some water damage in a soffit, and that's again, Brad was just talking about this outside. If you have carpenter ants in a structure, they've got to be where there's moisture. And so if carpenter issue on the inside, uh, there's a good chance. Maybe you've got a moisture issue somewhere. A lot of times you'll go in a crawl space. They'll be underneath the insulation. It's a nice little area underneath the insulation, uh, that creates a perfect habitat for them. You pull the insulation down, there's a couple thousand carpenter ants underneath there. So, uh, yeah, carpenter ants, what else? We have something called a little black ant. It truly, That is the common name. It's called the little black ant, Monomorium minimum. You got the house
0: odorous ant?
2: That's right, I got those at my house right now. They're yeah. taking over. And a new one, a new one called an Asian needle ant. It, it's, it's somewhat new. It was, it was first found, it's invasive, it's from Asia. And it was first found in Decatur in 1934. And for the longest time, it was not a problem. Over the past 10 years, uh, there's probably some listeners right now that have seen this thing. I've got them in my house. I live over here on on Springer Drive. And if on certain summers, and this is gearing up to be maybe one of those, we'll have a huge explosion of these things. And the thing about this ant is it stings. It's a, it's a, they're all about 3 16 an inch long. They just meander out. You look at the concrete. They don't trail like your sugar ant. They just kind of wander around like they're lost. And uh, I've, I've been in the garden before I picked up a bale of pine straw and they'll sting you. And it looks almost look like a wasp sting. Doesn't hurt nearly as bad as say a fire ant. The odd part of this thing, is the pain will come back With me, the pain came back an hour later. Been reports of the pain coming back a week later in the wow. place that you got stung, a week later it starts hurting again.
1: Now, what causes the introduction of these new species to Georgia? Is it, you know, travel, as you mentioned before? Is it the yeah. new port of Savannah bringing in <laughs> all sorts of new, you know, produce items and just ants and other types of insects kind of tag along for the ride?
2: Yes. It's, uh, it's all of those. It's, uh, you know, we all that international importation of, of things of of cargo that comes into the port of savannah and the port of long beach california and new jersey and all the ports along in new orleans and florida all those ports are are potential sites for pest pest entry we had a student actually several years ago that was looking specifically at the ants at the port of savannah so we went to the port of savannah and he sampled for ants on the port of savannah he found 48 species a third of them or what we call exotic they're they're not native to the u.s a third of them but they're not pests but they were just there probably came in in a, in cargo some somehow um but there's a lot of a lot of agricultural pests and a lot of other creatures that we deal with came in through ports like that and uh you know, think of things like uh your uh, at least at ports of entry people are looking at that cargo the customs and border protection is actually opening these containers not a lot of them but they know they'll tell you which containers that need to be looked at they'll, they'll look in these containers and, and they're looking for certain things but think of things like uh, uh, boats that are you know cruising the the caribbean and they come into fort lauderdale they don't have to go through any type of port of they're not inspected and if a termite swarms and down in an island somewhere and gets on their boat, they carry it right into Fort Lauderdale. And that's there have been documented cases of how termites and other things have gotten into the U.S. that way. Well, let's ask
1: Brad Glass as a pest control professional. Do you find yourself at times having to think like an insect in order to find them and destroy them or, or at least eradicate the problem from your, your clientele's homes?
0: We had a sign in our office one day, and one of my technicians was very artistic, and he 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 put it up, and it was a it was a great pictorial. But the the words to it said, "To kill the bug, you have to think like the bug," and so yeah, I mean that's that's a fact. And um, you know, you were just talking about the ports, and um, I've had three vehicles pull up in our office this year with ants in them no kidding <laughs> and um, and so it just goes to show you know insects are survivors yeah and um, and in all these instances they had parked somewhere and you know ants got in their car and so they went and vacuumed it out and everything so they want me to treat it and I'm like okay well hey I'm not treating I'm not treating a confined area <laughs> but um, you know I just simply tell them hey run by the hardware store pick you up a one of those little tarot bait stations that has liquid in it, they're going to find it just like they found your coffee mug and your and your cup holder, and they're going to be gone, and so, um, you know, that's just a, another way of how they travel, because you think about it, they were Argentine ants when they went to the shop or wherever they went, in one guy's case, he went to the shop, they got in his car, and he'd been riding around for two weeks. Well, those ants were displaced from their colony, but, you know, they were trying to survive in his. They probably already delegated, you know, a secondary queen and, you know, they would have just tried to thrive right there in
2: that vehicle. It's interesting. Almost all the roaches that we deal with in the pest control industry, all the pest roaches that I can think of are not native to the U.S. The German, this is interesting trivia for your next uh, party. Oh, uh, yeah,
1: or we'll, we'll, we'll get with Brad and we'll get the, get this on Jeopardy. So
2: so here's, the, here's <laughs> the story about the German roach. This is the one that you find in kitchens. Right? So... There's a German Roach and there's all the other Roaches. So the one that you turn on the lights at nighttime and they go scurrying away, the one that, that lives in your kitchen, it can't live outside. It is an obligate indoor pest. It's actually from Vietnam. So it's called the German Roach. But the reason it's called the German cockroach is when, it, when a scientist goes in and they call what they write what's called a description of the species. So if you're gonna if you're gonna call something an individual species, that means it's different from all other insect species. So they actually literally have to go in and describe what it looks like. So when it was when the German cockroach was described in 1785, it was described by Linnaeus. And the specimens that he used were in a winter museum in Germany, and so he called it the German Roach. But those critters had been collected from thailand laos cambodia vietnam that area of of the world and so that that cockroach has most it's the most ubiquitous cockroach in the world because it's in nearly every kitchen around around the globe
1: including mine
2: yeah i've I've had them in my house but you get if you see them you better get rid of them you better put the hammer down get rid of them quickly it's different than the big then the big uh, Smoky brown palmetto, the bug, palmetto that bug that you have. It's, I, got I those get palmetto bugs house. like crazy. Yeah, but I get those in my house.
1: One thing this year that we've seen a lot of, and we'll get back to ants and other pests, and we'll particularly talk termites here momentarily, but mosquitoes have been a real problem. Has that been because of all the rain we've had
2: this summer? Probably, I, I suspect. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know,
0: mosquitoes love water. And, um, I mean, the good thing is, is though you're constantly washing out some of that so you know the bad thing with all the rains is if you are getting treatment the rains will break down you know the chemical a little bit quicker so if you're used to a a 30-day treatment that's working sometimes we have to double up on the pesticide to try to make it last a little bit longer and sometimes we just have to go back out in between visits and and do an extra treatment.
2: That mosquito by the way is called uh, the Asian tiger mosquito it's invasive (laughs) if we talk about invasive species again came in in tires into houston galveston and then just absolutely in just a few short years just like fire came through georgia and florida and and but this a strikingly beautiful black and white mosquito it's a daytime biter it's called asian tiger mosquito but it breeds in standing water so first if if any listeners got if you've got a cup of standing water around your house you need to in a few days it's going to have little mosquito wrigglers in it and that's uh step number one get rid of your standing water you've got to get rid of your standing water well
1: uh, you know i can't be the only person who wants an answer to this question but i like to spend a lot of time on the beach mm-hmm. either the gulf coast of florida or the atlantic so, daytona yeah. or the saint petersburg area yeah. it doesn't matter to me but why don't I see mosquitoes nearly so much when I'm on the beach as I do five miles inland?
2: Probably the habitat um, and the ocean breeze. Yeah, that the blows them br- in. You've also you've always got a breeze. That's right. Th- they're kind of weak flyers, so uh, i never considered water. that. They, now there are, you, you, there are numerous species of mosquitoes, and if you get back in the mangroves, there's something called a salt marsh mosquito, the worst biter you've ever you've ever encountered called the salt marsh mosquito and experience that down in Florida, you will run away from what you're doing. It's kind of like the, you've had the noceums bite you if you've been on the right. beach before, uh, it's that times two. And so there are mosquitoes, but they're, they're further inland where there's brackish water that is stagnant. And the wind, like Brad said, the, you don't have that ocean breeze blowing them.
1: Now, in your webinars, and Brad can attest to this too you're you're getting clientele and you're getting you know pest control companies from Canada as you said Pennsylvania, Maryland, and then you know the southeast predominantly do the types of bugs and how they are treated differ by geography
2: The types of bugs will will differ uh, but your approach really doesn't change i mean um, your your biggest tool when I've heard Really well, people have been in the industry for 50 years have said this. Your biggest tool is your brain, and and, and Brad just took it out. Your brain and that flashlight right there. in uh, just getting back to thinking like a bug, it, it you've got to anticipate and and know what that bug might be doing and why it's there. If you can if you can address that underlying question, you know, there are just certain principles you need to know. You don't have to know all about what every insect is. But if you, you think like that critter, that, and that's you big, I don't care if you're all the way up in Canada, it's the same, kind of the same idea.
1: Now, Brad, we, you talked, and, and Dr. Dan mentioned this, and you did as well, that over a period of time that uh, certain insects will develop uh, an immunity to certain pesticides. How long does that process take? Is that a multi-generational thing for the insect or and do their habits change based on the way you try to get them out of people's homes, or are insects fairly predictable in that respect?
0: Um, it it definitely just takes a couple generations. A lot of times for bugs to to develop that resistance is what we call it. And um, and so and resistance can be different different things, right? It, I can become resistant to. I think you've become resistant to this heat because you work here every day. I have not. And so, um, and so <laughs> but, um, uh, for the listeners, um, <laughs> yes, it's a little warm in here. It's Africa Tony hot. Is, 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 is a good guy over there. But, uh, Dying. <laughs> anyway, um, to go back, another one, a behavioral um, resistance mm-hmm. can occur in insects. And, and then, you know, when I, I remember when gel— um, GEL Bates came um, on the scene for German cockroaches I mean it was lights out on German cockroaches for years um, and you know I, I remember going in places where I mean there wasn't just thousands there were hundreds of thousands of cockroaches in small apartments and you'd go in and you could literally just put that in four saucers around the room come back a little later and um, you know they'd be gone well they developed uh, sort of an aversion to the sugar that was in in the bait so they didn't become immune to the actual pesticide that was in there that was you know doing the killing they just developed an aversion to a certain ty- type of glucose and um, and so you know that's why certain gel baits you know to this day on certain um, German cockroach populations—they're not going to gain total control. So these insects learn?
2: It's not really learned; it's biochemical. they they its genetic, so it's passed on from one generation to the other. So if you took a—that was a perfect description of glucose aversion yeah. that, that Brad just said. But if there's multiple different ways that they're—they're they're actually uh, handling the chemical that's intended to kill them, and it's uh, the most common way is they just detoxify the chemical. Like I just drank a cup of coffee. Um, I'm gonna detoxify the caffeine in that coffee. And uh, cockroaches do the same thing. A chemical gets in their body and some of them can just detoxify. They break that chemical. They have enzymes in their body that attack that chemical and they break it into multiple parts and it no longer can do its job. So an oversimplification here is if you went in, Brad went into a, a, an account that had a bed bugs, for instance, and there was a thousand of them. And they were all, he sprayed a bunch of them and three of them survived. Why did those three survive? It's because they naturally could detoxify that chemical. And so they breed and they pass on that gene into the next generation. So now the, that gene is more prevalent in the next generation. And through time, as you use that same chemical over and over and over again, you're selecting for ones that can be killed and you're leaving behind the ones that can't be killed. So it's uh, a, through time. It takes years and years for this to happen. But through, through time, that chemical becomes irrelevant.
1: Well, being a sports guy, I always say that the science of the cheater, it will always be ahead <laughs> of the science of the non-cheater. Mm-hmm. Is that fairly true with insects as well, that their science, their genealogy will be a little bit ahead and then the, the pesticide companies have to try to play there, catch up?
2: It's a, it's a, it's a game and and the bug will always win always put your money on the insect they will <laughs> always they're always going to adapt and oh. the, the pest control the big manufacturers that produce the products that brad uses have they know this and they have huge R and D programs so the bear and syngenta and dow Sciences and cortiva and these big companies have these uh a lot of them are our uh, pharmaceutical, they're branches of a big pharmaceutical company that produce agrochemicals for production of, you know, rice in, you know, whatever part of the world. And and so that they, they're always looking for the next chemical that bugs can't become resistant to.
1: Brand, is it fair to say that for our area, the termite is the most financially destructive of the insects that we commonly are associated with?
0: Absolutely. I, I'd say by far. Um, as far as financially um the termite wins that and then you know
1: how it's been a particularly rainy summer
0: for us is
1: that good bad or indifferent in terms of termite infestation
0: uh it, it's actually uh, definitely i mean you know water is the source of life if you will so you know you definitely we're going to see this year that our insect populations have a, the greatest opportunity to peak and um, I would imagine, yes, we're we're definitely having more termites, and um, and because they they'll be able to peak.
1: When do they? Are they at their most active? Is it? Are they a twenty four seven type insect, or do 365 they?
0: Three hundred sixty five days a year. I mean, it's they like don't have a
1: dormant <laughs> period, or?
0: And that, no, I mean you know everybody they swarm. Uh, we have the southeastern subterranean termite here in Georgia. This far inland is is what we deal with. And, I mean, you can set your – I can set my clock at my office to it after about February 15th. Um, as soon as we hit about 75 degrees and sunny after a rain, you know, the phone's going to start ringing because that's when those termites um, – that's when their reproductive season is, and that's when they swarm out of their colonies. And, um, you know, I always tell folks the – The actual termite that's doing the damage, that's like the caterpillar in the field. When the farmer sees the butterflies, he already knows I probably got root damage. Um, It's too late. And so that's what's going on with the termites. When they fly out, a lot of people think, oh, I got termites like crazy because they're flying out. And, And they're worried about, they're literally worried about those alates, those ones with wings, eating up furniture. Well, they don't. You know, at that point in their life, they're not eating anymore. They are their sole purpose is to find a mate, and um, you know, find soil, find a wood source, and start a colony. So, it's it's probably like 99.9% of even a termite colony in nature um, that that doesn't make it. You know, um, the mortality rate at that that they're at the end of their life cycle unless they find that mate
2: They're good ant food at that point.
0: That's right. Or lizard food or lizard food. Um, Everything likes to eat. A you know, I, I can tell folks typically, um, if they've had a swarm, if I got lizards on every sill when I'm, when I'm ah. walking around, because I mean, those things are, if you've ever seen it, it's amazing. I mean, those hookers <laughs> are just those quick. Long tongues. And, yeah. uh, and so they'll just lap them up as they're, as they're coming out. But, um, but but yeah, and I was gonna go on to say, you know, if they swarm out inside of your structure, it's one hundred percent mortality. They those those swarmers are not gonna make it. You know, people will be spraying them with 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 Raid or Windex or whatever they have, thinking, oh my god, they're gonna eat up the furniture. Well, the truth be known, they wouldn't have to spray anything. Just wait thirty six hours. Every last one of them would be dead. Yeah, that's right. Now,
1: when it comes to you know, without citing a specific example, but could you cite? An occasion or two where the worst termite damage you've seen at a home or or a business? Um,
0: um, So, yeah, um, you know, I've been up under places that... I mean,
1: like, maybe the subflooring's
0: almost out? Every floor joist is compromised. And, um, you know, just years Mm -hmm. and years of neglect. Um, You know, uh, people thinking literally when they spray those swarmers each year with raid that oh well we killed them with raid and you know those workers are still you know again go back you know that root system that that home it's getting it's getting demolished and so um you know typically if, if it's very severe damage there's just been a lot of things overlooked or you've had a home that just sat there for a long long time and um but yeah you're you know, your $50,000 worth of damage cases that didn't happen in a year. Um, that, 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 that went on for a long yeah. time. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, I had one, uh, the worst one I ever saw, um, was on, it was just right downtown on South Sixth street. Um, and, and, you know, every one of them was going that, that home was probably 1940s home. Mm. And, um, but you know, the, the neat thing is nowadays what's what's the craze in the in the building is get those old homes yeah and um you know bring them back and you know in that case you know now
1: that you say that do you do a lot of home inspections for people who are buying homes that maybe the previous owner did not maybe stay on top of things perhaps the way they should have you,
0: <laughs> i guess i can describe it like this in about 2014 you know, I mean, the economy hadn't come back yet the Right. the 2000, you know, seven through nine, you know, crash, if you will, and um, in 2014, I probably did two inspections a month for mm. for termite letters. Now we get calls at least two a day, and wow. uh, and you know we get to them as we can, and and um, you know. Is
1: that because the population has exploded, or are people are more cognizant of the problem?
0: No, just the. The housing market, the market yeah. is wide open, and you know, in the in the in the state of Georgia, it's it's more times than not required. Um, you know, that's a maintenance requirement from the mortgage lender. Um, some real estate contracts definitely have it on there, and um, you know, it, it's a requirement, and it's also, you know, sort of a common sense. If you're a Georgia home buyer, um, you know that termites are here. So.
2: We're in the termite belt. Georgia is smack dab in the, what we call the termite belt. And that is that strip right across the southeastern U.S. Where it's, it's warm and it's it's warm and it's wet. It's, more, it's warmer and wetter in the southeast than anywhere else in the country. And it stays warm. And, and bugs love that.
1: Do they attack trees as well?
2: They'll eat the dead material off of a tree, yeah. And I've, we've had them, gosh, we've had them in, you know, eggplants. And tomato plants, and just about anything you can think of, they will, they will get in. Usually, that's under uh, extreme drought. You know, of course, we're not in that now. But if you get extreme drought, they'll access water somehow. Pool liners, Brad. I don't know if you've seen them in pool liners. You know, the the, in, the the above ground pools, they'll get in and damage pool liners. They'll get in underneath and 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 chew on the pool liner from underneath and cause a leak in the pool liner. They just, they're just troublesome little critters. Brad,
1: are there ways I mean, you can certainly eradicate the termites once they become a problem, but are there preventative steps that you can provide that keep at least for a while termites from infecting a property?
0: Yes, we I mean, we do that all the time. In fact, you know that's a process now that that we've adopted. The industry's been this way for a long time, and there's still some companies that will give that letter sort of a clean bill of health. and um, but, you know, over time, we're just not able to do it and it's because of the volume you're doing um you know if you miss termites you're going to be back out treating that property for free and so you know a lot of these that we do nowadays they they sort of are they're clean bill of health but you know the buyers wanting a protection so um we use liquid termiticide we use the the new chemistry of termidor hp2 um, I think BASF has done a wonderful job with Termidor because in our industry, we've always had the problem of, hey, if we have something that works, it gets put out on the shelves at Home Depot or, you know, even in your grocery store. And it's the exact same stuff we can get. And once you get too much of that stuff out there, we go back into you know that resistance, and um, and and to me, that's exactly why the gel baits probably quit working. If it would have just been the pest control professionals using that, it would have taken the German cockroaches a lot longer than if you know. Because I started seeing, you know, it was an off brand, but it was the same ingredient. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, the active ingredient in Tylenol I think is acetaminophen, right? Well, you, Something like that, yeah. Or yeah, ibuprofen is, is acetaminophen, yeah. it's, 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 and, and, and so you know you can go to your drugstore and you can get their brand, another Inerics, brand, or yeah. <laughs> or Tylenol, and um, you know Termidor is that original, and um, and so what they've done is when Termidor SC came off patent, they came they created another chemistry, and um, you know went went there. And they still sell the Terminator SC, but I, I compare it to the iPhone. Right? They're, they're not quite at the 12 like the iPhone is, but you know they're they're about five generations in of, of different chemicals. And the HP2 that we use actually requires a precision. Um, a precision machine to dispense it and um, it's just a very neat thing if you go to my website glasstermiteandpest.com you can click on a link there that that, that shows you you know what we do nowadays it's as, as opposed to
2: you know it's a neat system the way it's injected that what Brazgan is so the, the SC product somebody goes around the outside of the structure and they dig a little trench and they fill it up with chemical of four gallons per 10 linear feet a finished product but with this product you're actually injecting it into the ground under high pressure and it's, it's a uh, really always, unique tech really always tell folks technique. it's
0: just a it's just a beefed up pressure washer that dispenses <laughs> right. tomato side directly Small into the soil
2: tomato side, yeah
1: well georgia has a great pollinator count coming up uh, just a little bit less than a yeah, month from yeah, now that's right, yeah. now how do the pesticides i mean is it measured that they will attack the pest and not necessarily the the beneficial insects or is is it you know kind of all-encompassing and you just have to be careful how you apply your pesticide
2: yeah so pesticides are not selective right so they'll kill all insects but the manufacturers years ago saw this and and they they when the pollinator thing started becoming more and more important six eight ten years ago They address that through label changes. So when you get a, Brad gets a product that he's using, it has directions for use on the product that the manufacturer has put tens of millions of dollars into. So those are the directions of how to use that product and how not to use it. So they've addressed that by saying, uh, if you're applying this product around areas where there are pollinators or where there's flowers, do it at this time of day, don't apply it to these plants so there's there's ways to avoid that so your pollinator is going to be attracted to your flowering plants so if somebody's going in doing mosquito treatments for instance in the low vegetation um those products by by design are being they're being applied to areas where these pollinators don't exist
1: well i want to ask i want to get the answer from each of you because i think the answers will probably be different but in your world of entomology, what is the most difficult insect to deal with in terms of eradication in terms of killing it what's the what's the toughest insect you've we run across
2: all it's probably bedbugs
1: is that would would you say that in your professional maybe, maybe life brad that that's that's the case for you they're
2: difficult to control because they they're just the answer just problematic
1: well they're just they they are the very definition of
0: pest yeah. So it's a loaded question. Um, Bed bugs are a bug that that we feel like that we can go in and you work with us. We show you some things that, hey, you're going to have to change. And and usually people are very accepted for that. They're receptive to, okay, because this bug's feeding on me. But you take ants, for instance. Um, I talked with a technician yesterday evening about this, Um, you know, there was one side of the house that you can't tell the house from the outside growth. I mean, it yeah. just it's all the trees and the shrubs are just grown up over there. And um, and so, you know, he's never going to gain the control of the ants and we can tell them to their blue in the face that they're just they'll deal with ants and they'll just call us every time they see an ant. Yeah. But a bed bug, you know, they they're, they're going to do the things that we ask them to do. To, to help us get rid of the insect.
1: Now, there is something horrifying about bedbugs that ants don't necessarily carry. I mean, just in terms of, as you say, feeding on you as opposed to walking along a couple of surfaces. They're,
2: they're vampires. They're, they are... Here's the gross part. This is what the grossest part about bedbugs to me. They don't transmit diseases, thankfully. But they're most active between 1 and 5 a.m. So they wait until you're really dead asleep. And... That's when they come out. It's like the the message goes out to all the other bed bugs. Okay. Their alarm clock goes o'clock. off. It's one o'clock. He's good. He's asleep now. Yep. And then you wake up then somebody w- wakes up the next morning. Sometimes you have evidence of a bite. I have actually fed bed bugs on my arm before. Somebody's come in and we'll, I'll put bed bugs on my arm and I don't I don't welt up. If I if, I, if a mosquito bites me, I itch and I get a welt. I but if I let a bed bug feed, there's no evidence that that bed bug was there. And a, lot of people, wow. a lot of people do not get that well.
0: And I was fed on, too, in one of his classes um, back when bed bugs were first on the, sh- on the scene. And we had that class on a Tuesday night and then again on a Thursday night. Yeah. And um, so, you know, they brought them around in a vial with some tweezers, dropped it on you. And it was kind of pinpoint size. I mean, you could see it. It kind of looked like a coffee grand maybe at the you know, a, a smaller coffee grain. But, you know, you'd watch that joker, he'd fill up. And then the last thing we did was circle our arm with a Sharpie. And, um, you know, out of, I think, close to 20 folks in that class on Thursday night, there was one that sort of had a little redness. The rest of us, you know, still had the little circle. That was
2: <laughs> a little bit- They're very cryptic. They're, you know, the, these, these critters. Yep. Well, no,
1: one, one infestation I have had this year that I have not had in years, I've had a problem with my dogs and fleas this year, yeah. and I, I haven't had that problem in a long time. Is yeah. there any specific reason, or is, could it be in a, a resistance to the brand of flea collar that I'm using?
2: That, that's a lot of it. There's, uh...
1: I mean, I use a brand called Soresto, and yeah. and it's it's a compared to other flea collars, yeah. it's a little costly, but it's always done the job. But now it does not seem to be as effective.
2: So this is that. This is that uh, that battle that we talked about a minute ago with the manufacturers and the in the insect and the insect is going to win. Long time ago, probably back in the 90s, the the veterinarians did not have the flea market. The, this, the uh, control of fleas was the pest control operator. So I can remember when it happened. There was a product called Advantage. Uh, was it Frontline? Frontline Advantage, yeah. Uh, what the it? pills, basically. What was there was, was it? There was three of them. But two of them were spot-ons. One was a pill. That market went from 50 to $500 million for the veterinarians in three years. And it basically took flea control away from the, from the pest control industry. Well, homeowners, just like Brad said, they went to their vet for, for years and years, used those three products. And we're seeing resistance to fleas now and and now some of that has come back to the industry a lot of the, some of the flea control has come back to the industry because they have better products for use um in flea control but now you're seeing new active ingredients new new single dose pills where the animal absorbs the chemical the fleas are obligate blood feeders so they feed on contaminated blood they all die and then the the animal uh detoxifies the the chemical and it's gone within 24 or 48 hours
1: well, not to jump subjects on you, but I, I do wanted. To, I meant to mention this, or have you make mention of this earlier? But do you still have the the military tie-in with your webinar classes we and the, and yeah. your pesticide classes?
2: We do. We have a uh, uh, the webinars now. If you can uh, show us either a military ID or a DD two fourteen, you attend the webinars free of charge. So. Um, if anybody out there that wants to uh, attend one of these free of charge, if you are current or or uh, previous military, just send me an email at dsuter, D-S-U-I-T-E-R, at U-G-A dot E-D-U, and we'll put you on a special list. So we have a list of people. They get a special announcement, a VIP announcement, that goes out to them, shows them how to register for the webinars for free.
1: Well, now, Brad, I, if someone wants to get into the field... I guess there is an apprenticeship period or something similar. You know, what is the process like for somebody to get in from the ground floor to to work in a business, say, with you or just in the field in general?
0: Well, what he just described is a wonderful way for veterans and, um, you know, just go attend a class. And, and, you know, it's kind of like he said, as a, as, a, as a kid, he never grew up. Well, most folks haven't. That's right. And so, you know, this is just an interesting field. And so, you know, I always tell folks when we go to the pest control industry is great at recognizing its people. And um, I've been to many award ceremonies of people getting lifetime achievements in pest control. And their story is always, well, I really just walked in the door one day thinking I was going to bide my time until I got my next job. And here I am 40 years later you know, have made a great career out of this, made so many friends. Yeah, put three and, kids and, through college. And, and so, you know, that's <laughs> it. You, you show up at a pest control place one day, and I've had several of these. And, and um, you know, um, because of the continuing education and the process to get licensed, um, you know, we have to right off the bat. Um, there's a 10-chapter registered technician's exam book that we go through. And, um, and, and I always tell folks, you know, that book is neat because I don't care where you walk in from, you're going you're gonna to know a third of that book be- from some other thing that you've done. You're going to be familiar with another third, and then a third of it's just going to be foreign to you, and you're going to have to learn that part. And, um, but, you know, there's just so much, um, you know, there's, there's all types of folks that will thrive, in the business and it's the business's job to figure out where you thrive. It is such a great industry.
2: It is such a great industry. I just, uh, I wish we could get more people people just don't, they don't think about it. Brad just said it. They don't think about it. I, and I know people too, that have just, you know, they, I was going to be a summer job and here I am 35 years later, you know, and I'm retiring and, uh, it's not like most things. It's not what you think it is. Once you get into it, it is just people, some people will just flourish. If you're afraid of bugs or you're afraid of tight spaces, it's probably not for you. But there's, there, it's never, it's never different. It's never the same, you know, from from one call to the next. Even if you're a termite technician, uh, there's, it's always different.
1: Well, before I let time get away from us, can you highlight your class that's coming up in two weeks?
2: Yeah, so it's, uh it's August 5th we have another one August 19th the one on August 5th is called home IPM and it's uh, we have a series of lectures in the morning time um, and by the way these are uh, uh, these provide five continuing education hours in the in this category of household pest control um, and then in the afternoon we take them out to the training center where we have a mock kitchen and so it's a it's somebody's home kitchen and we go through the kitchen and say here's what Here's, what, uh, here's the 10 bugs that you might find in your kitchen that are going to be in your, basically in your, prant, in your pantry. And here's some of the cockroaches that you might look out for and, and anything that you might get in a home. And then we have a, my wife does an insect identification class. So as, as I have a series of people over in the training center, she's over in the Flint building with uh, the other half of class showing them 15 to 20, 25 different insects underneath the microscope that they're likely to run into. So you're actually going to see those specimens. And then we switch, and uh, we end the day by about 3 o'clock.
1: Well, I want to thank you both for joining us today here on the University of Georgia Griffin Campus News. Let me do point out, before Elizabeth Laney calls and gets angry, that the Red Cross will be holding a blood drive at the Stuckey Auditorium. That's upcoming next Thursday, July 29th. That's from 2 to 6 p.m. at the Stuckey Auditorium. Uh, they'll certainly take walk-ins. Red Cross is in critical need of blood, particularly type O right now and platelets. As post-pandemic life starts returning to normal, elective surgeries have returned, and there's been an increase of trauma cases, as you see, every summer. So blood critically needed. They'll take walk-ins, but if you want to establish an appointment, you can do so by visiting redcrossblood.org and using the source code UGA Griffin. I want to thank my guest today on the show, Dr. Dan Suter, who is the professor of entomology and faculty advisory committee chair for the center of urban agriculture on the uga griffin campus and always a pleasure to see brad glass a former student of the program and currently the owner of glass termite and pest control here in griffin gentlemen it's been a pleasure i've learned so much about bugs uh, and, and you do it without being you know some people i'm <laughs> one of those that gets creeped out by it but you guys make it educational and fun and it's not creepy at all so
0: fun it's so much it fun. is a wonderful But we do very
1: much appreciate your time, and we hope that you'll make time 167 hours from now to join us for the next installment of the UGA Griffin Campus News.